Welcome to another virtual author event at the Poison Pen Bookstore. I'm John Charles, and I'm going to borrow a British expression and say we are chuffed to have with us one of our favorite authors, <laughs> Hannah Dennison, whose new book is just out, Dagger of Death at Honeychurch Hall. Before we begin, I'd like to let those tuning in know the Poison Pen does have signed copies, a limited number of this book. So if you'd like one, give us a call or go online to the Poison Pen Bookstore. And I would like to welcome Hannah Dennison. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, you, this is my favorite store, as you know, so I'm very excited to be back here. Has been a while. It has been, <laughs> but we're glad you're back. Um, for those few people that might not know who you are, there's just a small number, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about who Hannah was before you started writing? Because your own career is almost as colorful as a novel. Ah, Yes, that's very true, actually. My poor dad used to despair of, of me ever settling down or anything. So let me think. I was in the Navy for six weeks <laughs> um, as an officer, actually, and that you had to go through rigorous um, sort of interviews to make sure that you weren't so that you were officer material, but I, I just hated it. So I, I didn't like the uniform or anything. That was mainly that, actually. Plus, you didn't go to sea, and I wanted to travel. Um, so then I became a flight attendant, and then I've also been working on a newspaper as a obituary writer, which was one of my series was based on that. Um, all set in England. Um, let me think. And then I've done antique dealing, and I went to America and became um, w worked in Hollywood for a while. Um, and then I worked for a, still work for actually um, an advertising agency. So I've been around a bit actually. And in March I get my Rolex watch because I've been there for 25 years. Wow, I know, isn't that terrifying? Yeah. I, it's, it's, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. My mum said, um, she said, can, you, can she borrow it so she, can <laughs> so she can pretend that it's hers at the nursing home, you know? Anyway. <laughs> um, well, so when did you decide you wanted to write a book? Um, I think it was when I worked, I worked in movies doing um, screenplays and specs and nothing ever happened and it was very soul destroying. So about, um, I think it was 2008, I got my first book published, but it was more because I didn't have any control over anything in the screen screenwriting business. They just take your work away and rewrite it. And I, it was just more of an experiment to start with because it's such a different medium than writing writing screenplays, but I guess I've always wanted to be a writer, but we all, we're always asked that question, and I, I always thought I just wanted to be a flight attendant, <laughs> but apparently my sister says, no, you always wanted to write, so. And yet your career as a flight attendant, there was a pivotal moment that kind of pushed you <laughs> into writing? Oh, there was, actually. Yeah. Yes, I was. Um, so, of course, I have to do some name dropping here. I, I can't. I apologize because my, my name dropping days are, are, are very few and far between now. So I'm going to really push this one. So I was working on the um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade uh, flights. We were on location. And so I got to know Steven Spielberg really well. Um, and because the plights, the planes were very small, they're only like eight seats. Um, and then we had all the celebrities on board. Um, and I think it was during one of those flights when um, Steven Spielberg said to me, um, is this what you really want to do? I must have been up to my eyeballs in, like, I don't know, rubbish or something. <laughs> yeah. um, and I have mentioned about the writing and, and all that. And he was, he sort of said, if you remember in the film, there's this, moment where Indy takes this leap of faith and he steps off that 
sets off that cliff and the bridge appears. And he said, that's what you need to do. You need to take that, take that jump and move to America. So, so I did. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was there for 25 years. Yeah. So and it worked. <laughs> yeah, your first series was uh, the Vicki Hill series, is that correct? Vicki Hill, which was roughly about my um, experience as a obituary writer. So I was only like, mm, let me think. I think I was like 20 at the time, 1920. Um, and the funny thing about that is that we, um, it was based on my, on my life in Tiverton. The Tiverton Gazette was w the newspaper I worked on. Um, and I wrote all the obituaries in that. And then fast forward, I don't know, 20 years, and I go to Tiverton Library, which mm. still exists, um, for a panel, like an author talk. And I mentioned that I'd actually worked on the Tiverton Gazette. And they said, um, oh, we have all the archives in the basement here, including all the obituaries that you wrote. So I thought that was really strange because that was way back in 1977. So, mm. yeah. And now it comes to your current book, which is part of the Honey Church Hall series. How did that originate? Um, so which the, the one that's just come out, The Dagger of Death, um, was I've been dying to write about my mom, actually, for a while. Not that there's a connection with the dagger, by the way. Um, <laughs> but she was evacuated during when war broke out in 1939. Um, and she was evacuated to the countryside. Um, and she, her experiences as an evacuee were some were really good when she worked, you know, lived in a country house with staff. Mm -hmm. And then other times then it w she was sent to live with one of the servants um, who was quite cruel to her actually. And her name was Olive. So Olive is in that book. <laughs> uh, so I've got, <laughs> I've got my home back on that. So I've been dying to sort of somehow weave it into one of my stories. And so in Dagger of Death, there is this sort of um, connection to the past which in England, since you know everything has, we're so steeped in history, um, and especially some of the older, older villages and towns where um, the same families have been around forever, and so there's always these dark secrets that seem to emerge. Um, so that was that was where that got came from. And um, plus, there's a new vicar in town in um, Dagger of Death, and I I I, d I know that other writers probably do the same. They get inspired by little tiny things. And I went to my nephew's uh, christening for his little boy, my great nephew, I suppose. And there was this very vibrant vicar there that I, I sort of thought, wow, this is so different than the ones I remember who were quite austere. Um, and he, he did have this very, very long hair that he wore swept up in a man bun. And he rode this Harley <laughs> Davidson bike. And he was, he was, even though he was like maybe in his late 60s, he was actually quite hot. So I thought, hmm, I'm going to put him in a book, too. So, yeah. And if i cr wrong, correct me, but isn't there also another World War II connection to the book in terms of D-Day? Oh, yes, there is. And that's actually something that um, is coming more to the fore now with um, Operation um, Tiger, which was in Slapton Sands. So if, you, if people who've been to the West Country, there's this stretch of, um, I think, it, I can't remember how long it is, maybe three miles or something, where the Americans came to practice for D-Day um, before, before D-Day. But it was a disaster because there were, uh, the an, a German U-boat actually came by and they were all 
sitting ducks as they were practicing. And then there was live ammunition was exchanged. And it was a huge secret for years and years about what really happened that day. Um, so I have connected that because I, my characters, where, where the book's set, it is close to Slats and Sands. Um, and they still have a Sherman tank, actually, on the beach there, which was uh, recovered from the sea in the 80s, 1980s. Yeah. Let's take a step back to the book before Killer Christmas. Yes. Because I have to ask you, was it just serendipity, or are you just that brilliant <laughs> that you decided to do Barbie in you this know, book? I, I have to say, it, it was my sheer brilliance that did that. No, because I, propo I proposed that book um, two years before Barbie came out. So I almost want to put a sticker on it saying I was here first. Um, so, yeah, so really that worked out really well, actually, um, having Barbie as the, uh, as the sort of feature of the antique. Because I always, I always feature an antique in every book, even if it's something small. But in fact, if any of you have your original Barbie dolls at home, in their original boxes, they're worth around $27,000. Um, I have Cindy, which is the English equivalent, and she's about, I don't know, $9, $9 on eBay. So <laughs> if you should keep your Barbie dolls. Um, but I saw this, um, I think it was an article that was published in Denver or Dallas or something about this uh, woman whose entire Barbie collection had been stolen. Someone had come in and stolen all their vintage Barbie dolls and everything. And I thought, oh, that sounds an interesting idea. So I did a bit of research on, on Barbie. And um, the most expensive Barbie doll, and I had to write this down just in case I was, well, I've steered it so I could answer this question and sound important. Um, but it was, it's the Stefano Canturi Barbie, who has a one carat diamond necklace. And she is worth $305,000. So, yeah, so Barbie's the thing. Mm. Barbie's the thing. Yeah. Um, the series Honey Church Hall does center around antiques, yes. in a way. And you had some career experience with that. How does that help you as an author? Do you know what to look for? Do you know sources? I, I do, actually. I mean, I, d I, d I worked for this French antique dealer um, back in the 80s, and it, 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 I do have a fascination for antiques. I'm not terribly good at it. I have to sort of really do a lot of research. And when I was working in the shop in the Pantiles in Tunbridge Wells, if anyone's been to Tunbridge Wells, um, if ever I was asked, I was always saying, oh, it's just very, very rare. <laughs> that was my standard reply. Um, but it does actually, when it comes into a book, it's always good to have, it sort of adds an extra layer. Um, and my, um, my neighbor in where I live now, she actually works for an auction house. So I'm able to access some of the lingo that I perhaps wouldn't have remembered because it was such a long time ago. Have things changed since then between when you were working and now when you write the books? Yeah, very much, very much so. It's, um, it's not, I think also with all the exposure like Antiques Roadshow, um, everybody's got something in their attic. Whereas when I worked there, they really, it, finding those kinds of bargains was, you see, th th see them all the time and then you've marked them up by 400% or something. Um, so I suppose in that way, it's very rare if you do find uh, something spectacular. It just doesn't happen anymore, really. Most of your books are marketed as cozy mysteries. Yes. How would you define cozy? What do you think are required key ingredients for a good cozy? 
Um, I think it's the community, wherever it's set. And there are so many different cozy um, parameters now, I think. Um, it's always, whether it's in a village or um, in a, any small community, or in my case, I've, I've created this village that's getting bigger and bigger with every book now. Um, so um, there's no violence or graphic sex, um, no bad language. Um, I think my one of my earlier books, before I really became realized that I was a cozy writer was I think I'd written bollocks or something as a swear word and I got told off and they said no you can't write that so I thought oh okay bother bother then um, and uh, let me think um, this it, the the murder is very it's always like domestic and usually the killer it's not like some serial killer comes in and and you know wreaks havoc it's always someone known to the killer most of the time anyhow and then you have other sort of um, spin-offs with, um, you know, cooking cozies and all those kinds of things. I, so I don't, I guess Cozy my antiques thing. Scottish bookstores. Yeah, exactly. Cupcake bakeries. <laughs> Cupcake <and> bakeries. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, I do actually love, I do love the cozy world. It's, it's good. Um, it's a feel-good book, which is what's important, I think. Well, what I like about your books is people have this illusion that cozies are all it's sweet and nothing bad happens, but there's this undercurrent of menace. Oh, definitely. Then I'm thinking of there's some kind, I'm going to get it wrong, but it's something wort, wild wort, something um, like a field of innocuous plant that's actually very deadly. Oh. Didn't that play some role? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there is. Okay. Actually, I've forgotten about that one. See, I, you know, I didn't even write that on my cheat sheet, actually. <laughs> um, that's another great advantage of having my neighbor because her daughter is a forager, so she forages. And so she gave me a whole load of poisonous plants that I can put into my books. And one of them is the, uh, I always get it around the wrong way, water drop hemlock. Or is it hemlock drop water? I, I don't remember. Water drop. water drop hemlock. And it looks like cow parsley that you see in the hedgerows. Uh, it's absolutely everywhere in England. And if an animal would even have a leaf of it, it would just drop dead straight away. So, yeah, that was quite fun to do that, actually. Yeah. I, I, I quite like doing a bit of poisoning. Uh, what is your process when it comes to writing the book? Because some writers... If you're writing a mystery, you have to plant clues. You need to kind of know who's going to be a suspect, who the victim is. But it turns out, not necessarily, some writers just hope it comes together. Oh, yeah. I, well, I think it's a horrible experience, actually. <laughs> and I, um, I hate every single minute of the first draft. So for like three months, I just, I'm just really um, unhappy. And then, um, because I, I, I sort of, I'm not a pantser. So I don't like write by the seat of my pants, but I, I do have a vague idea of where everything's going. Um, and then once that second, then once that draft's finished and then things start to come together, it's quite an amazing feeling of magic. And then I think, oh, of course I, kn I knew that was gonna happen. But then again, the next time I start and it's the same process. And I, I know our wonderful friend, Carolyn Hart, who we all remember, so much. Um, every book that she wrote, and I think she wrote 62, she says, is it 62? Um, she said the same thing, that the first book, she's like, I can't do this. I can't make this work again. And then you do. Um, but I usually start with a, a setting. Mm -hmm. That's what usually my sort of like the bowl that holds the story, wherever that might be. Um, and generally, the victim or the villain is someone who's crossed my path <laughs> recently. 
or a friend who said, can you get rid of X, Y, Z? And then I say, of course. You've written a number of series. I think it's at least three. If I ha yes, I have the Island Sisters mysteries too. What are the challenges in writing a series for an author? Are there advantages as a reader? I mean, how do you know you can pick up any book and be okay without having to read the previous ones? Talk about series. Yes, that's, um, I've got mixed feelings about that, actually, because I, I do love going back to the same characters every time. I really enjoy that because they're my friends. Um, they're my only friends, normally. Um, and I, I like having that familiarity of all the places and descriptions. And I've got this, you know, Bible where I don't have to waste too much time if I want to try and remember a, a room in the uh, Honey Church Hall or something. Um, I think the biggest challenge is in a series is that whole ca um, Jessica Fletcher, is it Cabot Cove? Cabot Cove yeah, yeah, because I, I don't know how to get around that without doing a Game of Thrones, killing a favorite character off. Mm -hmm. And I haven't had the courage to do that yet. So it's almost like every time there's obviously a new book, there's new characters, and you know one of them is going to be either killed or the killer. So that's something I grapple with a lot, actually. Do you always know a series is going to come to an end as an author, or sometimes is that choice taken away from uh, you? I think it's taken away. I mean, I know that um, Island Sisters, um, unfortunately, just came to a stop, mm -hmm. and I had one more book in my head that I'd still quite like to do to wrap the series up. But I think also with Island Sisters, because it was on an island, I really did run out of of possibilities because it was a lot room really and that those are so difficult to write that was probably the hardest book I had to write actually um, yeah you've been writing now for a long time you also teach writing is that correct yes I, ha I teach mystery writing um, uh, for UCLA um, but online okay. so which is great that's one of the great things that have come has come out of mm. this sort of new world that we live in what do you think are some of the most common mistakes that you're correcting aspiring writers on? Um, it's, it's such a simple thing. It's just sit in the chair and finish the first draft. It doesn't matter if it's rubbish, but you can't, you can't work with a blank page. So, and I think so many writers, and I was the same when I started out, they want it to be perfect. So instead of just like thinking, putting a placeholder in and think, I'll come back to that, they go back and start all over again. And so you're never really getting into the flow mm -hmm. of writing. I think it's more that than anything uh, to do with structure or anything like that, because that you can fix once you've got something down. That's uh, wise advice. Have you seen trends happen everywhere? Fashion, food. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Um, the automobile industry. What about mystery writing? As a writer, as a teacher, are you seeing things that you didn't expect? Are you seeing things come back again you never wanted um, to see? Well, fiction? at the moment, it's romanticy. Yeah. Um, and so my British editor, she, she said that that's all the, the, that I think it's a younger reader. Mm -hmm. And she said, can, can you just put a dragon? Just put a dragon <laughs> in there. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I don't, I don't think I can. I, I wish I could, but I just, yeah. I just don't, I don't think I can actually. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So yeah, that has, has to be, that's the trend at the moment. Because we have vampires for a very long time, mm -hmm. I think. Um, I don't know. You see yeah. cozier, cozies getting darker, getting a little bit more gritty, a little bit um, more... Mm, I, no, I, I don't actually. Okay. I, I think 
they're just def different subgenres within the cozy genre, maybe. Yeah, I, I do think they're, in some ways, they're expanding because it used to be a very, we're getting more diverse characters. We're oh getting definitely. more um, yes. diverse. It's not just small towns anymore no. in settings. Yeah, it is like, as I say, it could be in London, but it's the community around Liverpool Street Station or something, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think one of your co-authors, if I'm correct, is it Emmeline Duncan? Oh, um, it's, it's, it's not, does she write the Dalrymple? No, not no. Carola Dunn, no. Um, I'm thinking the one that does the coffee shop series. Or oh, yes, yes, but or I the can't coffee remember the cart, or I'm getting it all wrong, but that just shows that they're, I think, Writers, you you want readers, so in some ways you have to adapt a little bit to. You do, I I definitely feel that, and then but then sometimes I might get um, letters from uh, people uh, that don't want. Well, you. they'll say you know I I am not going to read. Well, I think it was I, I can't I won't say who who or where they came no, from, but I've got their information. So they could track you down. Um, yeah. But yeah, so to to say that um, because I I had it just. I think it was she found it offensive. It was something I had said in passing. And so you have to still be very careful, I think, and respectful of, of your readers. Um, but most of mine are the same. I don't I don't Corset. Feel, yeah, I think so. I think so. You so you didn't tell her not to get her knickers in a twist? No, but she's she's in she's in a book. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hurt her too much though. Okay. It was quick. What about Hannah as a reader? You write mysteries. Have you always read mysteries? Do you not read what you write? I Do don't. I know. I'm, I've, I was honestly, I've been thinking about this question because I've, I've really missed the pleasure I used to have as a reader before I started writing. I find it, that's one thing that's made me quite sad because I would read a lot of family sagas or um, thrillers or, or across the board. Mm -hmm and be completely immersed. And now it's all I can do to concentrate to read a, a chapter. Um, I've, I've started rereading Agatha Christie and actually really enjoyed that. And I think it's because I must have read them when I was much younger. Mm -hmm. And as an older person, I'm seeing a completely different tone to her books that I had, hadn't seen before. Um, uh, I, do like, I do like a book, oh, I, that's right, I read, so I, was on, I went on safari just have to say I went on safari with my daughter who was pregnant but that's another story um, and um, I read the oh, is it Edward Rutherford mm -hmm. and he writes those giant books uh, London and yeah. the one about Stonehenge I read and, and I read New York which was almost a thousand pages and mm -hmm. I loved every single page and I was but I was also on holiday so I was able to really un unplug it, yeah. but I re read it and I think I, I, I wish I could write like that so, because it's just so different. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I am pretty diverse in my reading. Is it because now as a writer, you're looking at things from that viewpoint and think, dissecting how they're doing it on the page? But I think subconsciously or else I get irritated that it, they're not, you know, like, oh, God, well, I can guess who this is on page one, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, th I think that's the biggest thing for me is not having that pleasure that I used to have as a reader. What has surprised you the most? You've been writing now for, we won't say how long, but a long time. A long time. <laughs> about the publishing business. Oh, God. Do you really want to start I on do, that yeah. one? Oh, no. 
okay, give me a glass of wine and I'll really <laughs> tell you the truth. Um, no, I just think uh, it's quite hard actually now because of this so limited um, and things like um, there's not so much support anymore because there's so many people. So it, it, I don't know, I don't know whether or not that's a conscious thing. Uh, so it's there's very much like the huge bestsellers that get a lot of the focus, mm -hmm. and then there's the rest of us, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I find that quite disappointing. Um, so that's th I think that's the biggest change. There isn't that support, but I don't think COVID really helped either. I think that didn't do anyone any favors, and it hasn't really kind of jump back from that, I don't think. It was kind of a double-edged sword because it mm. brought more people to reading that didn't necessarily yeah. read because they were stuck at home or they couldn't get out. But um, you're right, I think publishing, the mid-list is gone. It used to be that you could be successful with 5,000 copies sold or whatever yeah. it was. Now you have to sell 500,000 or something. I know. Yeah, that's why I'm getting my Rolex watch very soon because I I'm very grateful to have my job. Um, but it, yes, it's true. I think um, it's very hard. But having said that, um, with overseas, like ru I've noticed that's quite different, say, in, in France. I only know France because my books are over there. But the bookstores, there are loads and loads of bookstores in France, which I didn't expect. Um, and they have a, I, I think it's a law where they can only sell for the same price across the board. So no one can be undercut. And so they seem that, so the bookstores seem to be able to have a lot more support. Um, and I, that, that really surprised me about how many people are in bookstores in, in, in Paris for sure, yeah. And in Britain, it used to be, it could have changed, but don't you still have a library program that supports Li Oh yeah, library's really good actually. Yeah. Um, that's very lucrative in fact, uh -huh. because um, you do get royalties on any book that's checked out, which I don't think you do you don't. here. No. Yeah. Um, and so you have to register and all that kind of thing. And you know, with the public library system, which unfortunately has recently been hacked. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure what's gonna happen with that. Um, with <laughs> cyber terror. Um, but yes, the libraries are very, very much um, up and running with good programs and things. With the changes in publishing that also brings, some would say opportunities, pu uh, writers have gone off in their own direction, taken a break from traditional publishing. Have you ever thought about doing that? I did one okay. as an experiment, um, and I actually really enjoyed writing it. It was a Vicky Hill, it was like mm -hmm. a, but it was like a novelette, I think you call it. It was like 150 pages or something. And I enjoyed the fact that I didn't have, the deadline was on me. Mm -hmm. um, and I still got it, you know, edited. I paid someone to edit it. Mm -hmm. um, but only those people that knew my books would read it. It wasn't like, even though I tried to promote it, it was very, it's very hard, I think. I think self-publishing has its benefits, mm -hmm. but to be heard above the noise of so many people out there doing it is very hard. Yes, and you have to be very aggressive, and you're many things, Hannah, but you're not aggressive. I, I, I haven't got yeah. it in me, actually. I know. <laughs> I hide behind this veneer of non-aggression, but meanwhile, mm -hmm. poison and stabbing. You, you need a, p a pit bull of a marketer or something like that <laughs> to get your I books do. out there. Yeah, I know. I'm very quiet about it. Can you tell us, I know the book just came out, uh, Dagger of Death in any church hall, but can you, do you want to hint at what's coming next? Uh, I've just started it. Okay. So actually, I'm really miserable today. 
because I'm in that first draft. So I'm very happy to be going to the bar later there <laughs> with you guys. Um, it's um, hang on, I've got to think now. I had it on because I, I was writing before I came out, actually. Um, well, first of all, and I'm sure people won't remember, actually, whether they really remember book to book. I don't know if they do. But I have got a new love interest for the cat. Mm -hmm. And um, I am he's so gorgeous. I'm very excited about him. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think I'm in the moment I'm trying to figure out what how to kill. Whether it's nic I, I thought mi maybe nicotine, so I've got this sort of oh. kind of idea on that. Um, but it does take place. Um, I, I know this sounds a safari supper <laughs> because I went on safari, which I know is boring. But um, I think I think you call them. What do you call them here? Where you go to each person's house oh, for a course? Like, yeah, it's like a traveling dinner party. Traveling or dinner party. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we call it Safari Supper, and we actually have them in my village where I live. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely rife for, for like a bit of foul play on that. Um, and also not practical, because in the villages, um, you have to travel quite far to get to the next house. Mm -hmm. So you're going along in the dark, you know, with holding your canapes or something. Mm -hmm. It's quite easy to get waylaid. Yeah. Um, so it has that's the backdrop. So when I said about I, fi I have to find my setting... Uh, that that's my beginning is the safari. So like oh. in, I knew that I wanted to write about Barbie. So that was, and then mm. my mom. So it's those those sorts of anchors that start me off. They're kind of the seed. For yes, exactly. They they're the inspiration them. for the story that follows. But I never know quite quite where it goes. But I I have to say, I am um, as I've got deeper into the series, I I have to be so careful not to be repetitive. I think that's a serious issue, isn't it? Like going through yeah. the same old mm -hmm. complaints or worries about a character. They have to evolve as it's well. It's tough for an author because you have those dedicated fans that want those familiar they want Exactly, they want it to be the same. Yes, but you can't bore the other readers who may not yeah. be aware of what you're doing. Um, when you talk about being careful about not repeating things, does that extend to... Um, method of murder. Do you uh, find yourself? It does. I have a chart. I, like I, po yeah. I poison three people. I can't poison somebody it's else in this. Book. That's exactly it. It yeah. is true. Um, and I, I know that. I think there was a grid somewhere. I'm sure you guys know it. Um, that had um, the Agatha, Cri all the things where she killed. Most of the time, it was poison for her, though. That's because she had that background. Yeah. Of working in a Pharmacy dispensary or dispensary. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also in a cozy, um, well maybe it's just my books. I, I always want the vi the villain to have some human hum human characteristics. The word? Ca yeah. yeah, because I I I think it's not. I don't write about serial killers that mm -hmm. are just mad, mm -hmm. and they just go on these stabbing sprees and stuff. I want to understand why uh, someone crosses to the dark side. That's mm -hmm. what interests me. Is why they did that. That is a good point because every villain is the hero of his or her exactly. own story. You're just yeah. looking at it from their viewpoint. Yeah, exactly. So that that I I'm always interested in that. So there's I like to think my characters are quite well rounded mm -hmm. in in that respect. And quirky. Always quirky, England, <laughs> England for you. It's all the inbreeding <laughs> in England no, and the weather, yeah. which has a lot to do with it. You've kind of covered that you're not the best of marketers for your own books. No, I'm terrible, actually. But yeah. 
do you, are you on social media? Are there ways readers can find out about you and your books? Well, <laughs> oddly <laughs> enough, we over here, um, book talk is our uh -huh. thing. And um, I'm with Paige and Jen and, Jen and Kate Carlisle. And so that's very active on social media, um, mostly media? Um, on Facebook and on Instagram. Okay. And that's always something you can you can check on any of our Facebook pages. There are links to all these exciting things we do and giveaways and things like that. So that's been really, really, really good. Mm. Yeah. So I have that. So if someone went to my website, they mm. would see I've got the whole book, how to find out about book talk on that. And then, or any, or Kate, or, or general page. And when you get together, what, do you talk about books? Is that what it is? Uh, talk about books, promote other people's books, um, or uh, maybe, especially if they don't have that much um, traction, you know, to try and bring awareness to new, to new debut authors or authors that oh. have just got a book out. Right. Um, yeah, it's really fun. We have lots of fun contests, and especially, I think my favorite so far is the ugly sweater one for Christmas. Wasn't that yes. fun? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I think was here. Yeah. Right? Yes, they insist on bringing it back despite <laughs> my best efforts it to stamp so it out. It was so much fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that was a real, that was really fun. I enjoyed that. So lots of light, fun stuff. <laughs> Next year. <laughs> yes, you should come at Christmas. I, I'm I would love to come at Christmas. Yeah. Um, before we have to conclude, we'll see if we have any questions from your fans online or in person. Oh, what, the story? Yeah, the story of Hemingway Hall. Yeah. Oh, well, so originally um, I got the idea because my mom, my mom was a widow. And um, I think she was like 75 my, and my dad had left her quite comfortably off, but not mm. really rich or anything. And so she went and bought this wing of a country house without telling my sister or myself or, or anybody, um, which was totally impractical at her age. It was down a mile drive and it was on four floors and all that. And slowly, um, slowly she ran out of money, actually. <laughs> so. Um, and now she's in a nursing home, but um, but that was the sort of spark because I wanted to write about a mother-daughter relationship. So a lot of it, even though it's set in the in a backdrop of a country house, um, which I know quite well, and the carriage house that she lives in uh, belongs to a friend of mine, which is adorable. It's a lovely, lovely place. It really exists. Um, but I, it's just more about reinventing. I always find there's this theme of reinvention in, in my books. Um, so, you know, my protagonist, Kat, um, has just come out of a relationship. So when she's like 39, so she's starting again in a new place. And Iris, who actually writes romance novels on the side secretly um, as Crystal Storm. Um, so she's a widow, but nobody knows, of course. Even her husband didn't know, and Kat my protagonist didn't know her mother did that yeah. um is also reinventing herself yeah so those are the and then of course i have the antiques and things like that actually that's a very smart point because vicky kind of reinvested yes. herself over the course of that vicky series. does and also my island sisters mm -hmm. I, I and i'm inventing myself you are my hero is madonna she's always reinventing herself isn't she madonna she's always reinventing herself um, yeah, but it's exciting because it means that instead of looking back, you're always looking forward, new chapters and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Any other questions?
I am writing another genre. Ooh, good question. <laughs> I was going to, um, I know I'm really nervous about it, actually. <laughs> um, so I, for about the last, I think, six years, I've been struggling to finish this manuscript that I wrote in a state of, um, I think, you've a, a fugue state when you mm -hmm. don't know your, I, I, I did NaNoWriMo, which I've only ever succeeded once, and this was this book. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's like, um, I think they call it rom romantic fiction. It's not rom-com, and it's um, not... I think now the term, they used to call it women's fiction, but now it's relationship fiction. Okay, it's relationship fiction. Yeah. Relationship fiction. But I, I enjoyed the different feeling. But again, I think it was because I was writing it for me yeah. and not to a deadline or anything, so it felt different. So, But my agent has seen half of the book, because I have written half of it, and he liked it. So that's a plus. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh my! Oh, about my Vizslas. My is that about Draco and Athena? Yeah, I'll tell you. I'm very sad about that actually. So I have two. I did have two Hungarian Vizslas or Vishlas, as we call them over here, um, who I brought from Portland, Oregon, to America, uh, to England. Sorry, when I moved back to England, um, and um, they're siblings. They're eight and a half. And then just before Christmas, I had to have Athena put to sleep because she had really bad. She was had cancer. So I was very sad. So I'm just adjusting to not having her around now. But and why uh, well, there's a story to that. So my um, my former husband want has always wanted uh, Vishlas, and now I think now I've got them. I think I'd always have a Vishla. They're very very affectionate. Um, you know, we snuggle at night. We spoon in the bed <laughs> under the set, which could be why I still live alone actually. But. <laughs> Um, and they, yeah, they're just very affectionate, but they are quite crazy. They need an awful lot of exercise. Um, and they're very, they're, they haven't got an undercoat, so they don't molt. They're that red, red russet color, if you know. Or if I think they're in part of the Weimarana family, or gun dogs, you know, German pointers, that kind of look. They're a gun dog, yeah. I think Draco's really depressed, but I'm giving him my feelings over her because I do miss her. Um, but he seems he seems to be slowly getting, you know, getting used to it and having all my attention. So uh, thank you for asking. Yeah, I know. I'll add one last question before we wrap up. Um, what was it like working as a secretary to a Formula One? Oh. I, that was the, that was I got fired from that job actually. <laughs> that was I don't really did I write that on my resume because yes, I don't often <laughs> talk about it. It's embarrassing. Um, you don't have to. <laughs> you don't want to. No, no, I do. No, he was. Um, I think he's passed away now. He must have done actually. Stop encouraging her, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I worked for John Thirties, who was uh -huh. a world champion motorbike kind of Formula One. Oh wait, are you talking about when I was working on the aircraft? When yeah. I worked for Formula One, okay, sorry, that was another story then. You um, have many <laughs> stories, but let's <laughs> go with this one. Oh, so this was this one I got fired because I was his secretary, and um, I, oh, he he called me his secretary because that's how it was pronounced in England, a secretary, S E K K secretary. <laughs> Um, and the thing is, I was absolutely dreadful because I couldn't type or I couldn't. I, I just was. He said I was the worst secretary he'd ever had and he let me go after six weeks but sometimes he took me out for lunch you mm. know and um i just closed my eyes and held on because he drove so fast wow. it was like but he was a good man mm. yeah 
Yeah, that was not my finest hour anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but you've gone on to glory since then. So I, th I may have to put him in a book, actually. I've forgotten all about that. Yeah. Uh, NASCAR is hot in the U.S., so if you ever... What's that? NASCAR. So yes, if you ever do a series, is. you could set oh. it in that world. Hmm. After you finish your other book. Oh, I, yeah, I need to finish that because my, yeah, I need to finish that. Well, I'd like to thank everyone who's joined us virtually and those in person for another author event with Hannah Dennison. We're pleased to have what we like to call the queen of the British cozies here. <laughs> and <laughs> we will so have sweet. signed thank copies <laughs> of her new books available. Please give us a call or go online. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, audience. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them, and your help would be appreciated. Please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.